Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. It's great to have Marcy Ian today with us at One Church TL. And for those of you who are not familiar with who Marcy is, let me give you a brief introduction. Uh, Marcy was born and raised in Toronto. Her parents immigrated from Trinidad. She has two wonderful children, Blaze and Dash. Many of you might recognize Marcy from her work as a journalist with CTV News, an anchor of uh, Canada AM, and more recently, a co-host anchor of the daytime talk show, The Social. Uh, More recently, uh, Marcy threw her hat into the political arena and she was elected as a member of parliament for Toronto Centre. Uh, She has been an advocate uh, against uh, social and racial injustice in Toronto and across Canada. She's an author, she's a great leader, and a friend of One Church TO. So I want to welcome you, Marcy. Thanks for joining us today for this conversation. It's so good to be with you, Jonathan, and thank you for that warm introduction. My goodness. For those that might not know, you've been a part of this One Church TO community, the spiritual community, for a long time. And I want to ask you a little bit, like, how long have you been a part of One Church TO, and what has it meant to be a part of this culturally diverse spiritual community here in Toronto? 45 years. I was doing the math just the other day, and it has been 45 years. I was seven years old, and uh, my family moved to Scarborough. And uh, we joined uh, APC. And so it was in a different location. It was at Birch Mountain Huntingwood. So a little different from where the church is now, but that's, it's been, it's been decades. And uh, it means so much to me, you know, and I have to say, when we talk about a church being a family, people sometimes say that, but, you know, that's what this church is. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out, how many people have said that they were praying for me uh, during the by-election through my career, who said, we see you, we see what you're saying, we see what you're doing, it's not easy work, and we just want you to know that we're here. And that has meant the most to me. This really is a family. Well, uh, we're so proud of you. And your family, your mother and others have been a part of this church community and contributed so much to the health and welfare of One Church TO. So we're so glad to be with you and we are praying for you. I want to invite you to reflect on even 2020. I know 2020 was a a tough year for everyone. COVID-19 aside, which is hard to push aside because it's so dominant, uh, it was a, a year where the the anger, the fever pitch anger level of racial injustice triggered by some very tragic events. That conversation was elevated in 2020. It was almost like something thawed. And for everyone in Canada, it pushed us all into an uncomfortable space. Uncomfortable for some because they it, it has hope attached to it. Uh, there's almost like the conversation got escalated in 2020 But, you know, will things change is the question. And uncomfortable for others because although they may acknowledge that racism exists, 
systemic racism is more complicated and maybe it's hard as we've heard just the pain, the deep pain that people have lived with for years, First Nations people, people of color, even new immigrants to Canada. So I wanted to get your reflection on that, uh, Marcy, because not only uh, do you have some personal reflections, but I even know your work with First Nations people across Canada and even your work in news media has given you an interesting seat to view what is going on in our nation. So could you speak to a little bit about your experience, but as well as the the experience of others that you've represented here in, Tor in Toronto and in Canada? Jonathan, it is, uh, 2020 was a year of immense change. And for all the reasons that you mentioned, but from a very personal note, and I'm gonna break this down and go into different areas, it was huge. It is the reason that I ran. Um, when George Floyd was killed, we talked about um, what it meant on the social. And for me, it was very, very personal because I, I looked at that video and thought that could be my dad, that could be my uncle, that could be my friend, that could be my son. And, and so, you know, I tried to use my microphone the best way that I could in relating to Canada personal stories about what it's like to be black in this country. And, and the story that I really wanted to hit home or the fact that I wanted to hit home was that we're not exempt in Canada. The news headlines in Canada after George Floyd was killed, many of them said things like, could this happen here? Does systemic racism exist here? And of course, we as black people know, yeah, it does. Why are we even asking those questions? And there has been this, this attitude in our country that we finger point and, and look south and think, wow, it's rough over there. You know, we are a nation of diversity and we are, and inclusion and we are, but we also are a nation of systemic racism. And coming to terms with that fact and talking about it, having real conversations about that, about privilege, white privilege, and what that means, what allyship means, are conversations um, that I was involved in on the social and beyond. And I have to say, you know, having those conversations weren't easy at times. The vitriol came and it came fast and furious. If you check, you know, my timeline at any point, you know, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, you know, you might find people saying that I'm a race baiter and what am I talking about? And it's not all about race and there's no systemic racism here. And so I know that when that happens, I've hit a nerve and I know that I'm delving into conversations that need to be had. So I just keep going. When it comes to the political run, it got to a point where I thought, am I going to continue to use my mic as a journalist and as a host? Or am I going to try and throw my hat into the ring and, and maybe if Toronto Centre saw me fit, action some of the things I'm talking about? You know, there aren't a lot of people of colour at the table politically. And I wanted to show how important that was. I wanted to show that there was 
a necessity for me to be at the table and to be able to share my life experience and action things that way. There are, you know, we've got a long way to go, but at least, you know, we're moving forward. And you mentioned being uncomfortable. You know, that's where we need to be because there are lessons, huge lessons in the discomfort. Well, let's follow up on that question because I think when it comes to racial injustice in this world and what was elevated in 2020, I want to ask you a a direct question for everyone that's listening because we're going to have over 70 nationalities of One Church CEO listening, many different generations, many different experiences, new Canadians. Uh, People have been here for decades. People were born here like yourself. But why should this be everybody's issue? Of course, it's everybody's issue. I mean, if we want this, this country to move ahead in the right direction, we say that we're inclusive. We say that we embrace diversity. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. And so, Jonathan, it means really honest conversations. And it also means listening. It means listening to people of color, listening to new immigrants, you know, caring about their stories, about their needs, about their challenges. And it also means allyship. I'm so proud of you. I know our One Church CEO family is, Marcy. We love you, and we're going to continue to be praying for you as your voice continues to be elevated, not just in news media and in social circles, but uh, in our government levels with policy setting that uh, inevitably has the ability to affect change to the systems. So praying that the systems will change as we continue to move forward and we create not only a nation, I just feel like it's a part of the gospel, a fairer, more equal, loving and a, and a part of caring for those who may be, feel forgotten or marginalized. And you've been such a great champion of that. And I, I'll reiterate it again with both grace and strength. And Marcy, we couldn't be prouder of you from One Church Steel. Oh, Jonathan, thank you so much and, and thanking the church so much. And yes, please uh, keep the prayers coming uh, and just appreciate all the work that you do. It's important work. So thank you. Love you, Marcy. Take care. Love you. Bye. Thank you, Marcy, for spending some time with your church family to talk about uh, an issue that we're going to explore, this issue of justice and mercy. This is the last message in our series, uh, With or Without a Mask, and we're taking off the mask today to talk about something that, that God really values and embodies. And I want to take a moment from the outset before we jump into our text, which will be Luke chapter 10. So some of you might want to find that right now, Luke chapter 10. But before we jump there, I want to acknowledge the fact that Who has the corner on justice in this world? And it's important we recognize that justice is not not a cultural value. And justice doesn't belong to one cultural group in particular, nor to a cultural moment. In fact, it's not a cultural value, it's a Jesus value. Justice is something that's embodied in the person of Jesus, something he lived and practiced in his life. It's also important that we recognize that justice is not just a generational leaning. And what I mean by that, in news media, you'll hear often these days that um, really the millennial generation has escalated the conversation about social justice in this world, uh, to which I I applaud that. I definitely think that that generation has certainly furthered the conversation. And when they're furthering that conversation, they're really furthering a conversation that Jesus loves. Because it's not just a generational leaning, 
It's a Jesus leaning into the issues of justice and injustice in this world. And it's also not, maybe this is more uh, uh, the quadrant where we often see justice being a little bit hijacked, and it's simply in the political agendas. Um, I think we live in a world right now where every politician from every stream and swatch uh, can co-opt into the justice conversation because it seems to be trending in this moment. And any conversation about justice or speaking up against injustice, whether it's political, generational, or cultural, is welcomed because even with a political agenda, it's not just a political agenda, it's a Jesus agenda. Now, why do I highlight that? Because we have to be careful to not allow lesser agendas to hijack Jesus' agenda for justice. That, that somehow don't let justice be hijacked by lesser agendas. We need to keep it very focused on how God intended to be played out. And if you read the scriptures, you can see that justice is mentioned often. And wherever it's mentioned, it's always connected to mercy. It's almost as if justice and mercy got married and they're not supposed to be taken apart because when they're taken apart, things get messy. But if you're like me, in this life and in this world, when we see injustices, we want justice. When injustice happens to us or harm happens to us, we want justice. But when justice is aimed at us, we want mercy, don't we? Here's the interesting thing in Scripture. Merciful people are joy-filled people. Do you know, you know why? Because merciful people are aware of the fact that they have received mercy. So the degree that they've received mercy, they give mercy. Think of it this way. We deserved death, and Jesus gave us life. You know what that is? That's mercy. We deserved eternal separation and eternal isolation, and Jesus gave us eternal community and eternal connection. You know what that is? That's mercy. I deserve the consequences of my actions, and yet Jesus gave me the consequences of his actions. You know what that is? That is mercy. That's mercy. Jesus taught his followers in that first century. He said this, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. They will be shown mercy. Uh, do we need mercy? I need mercy. Do you need mercy? Being merciful is expressing your love for God by loving people that you're not supposed to or do not want to love. Being merciful is loving people you're not supposed to or do not, or do not want to love. Now, I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking how Western Christianity and modern Christianity has developed a unique ability to believe in a doctrine and not love people. And I'm not talking about loving the people you're supposed to love. I'm not talking about loving the people you want to love. I'm talking about loving the people you're not supposed to love. And I'm talking about loving the people you don't want to love. And the question is, for you and for me today is, you know, here's, here's one to explore is, who were the types of people Jesus hung out with? Well, Jesus hung out with the people he wasn't supposed to, right? Over and over. Jesus helps us understand his kingdom ethics of justice and mercy in a wonderful story in Luke chapter 10. 
And the story is actually prefaced with a conversation between Jesus and a religious scholar. And in our community groups this week, we're going to explore it. In fact, you're going to want to be a part of a community group this week. We, we are going to go deeper in this text, and we are going to be able to uh, explore a lot of the nuances I can't possibly tease out in a gathering today. So make sure you're a part of one. But in Luke chapter 10, beforehand, he's having this interaction with a religious scholar, and they're talking about what is the greatest command. And it says this, you must love the Lord your God. God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the religious scholar responds to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And that's the question to that first century audience, and it's a question to this audience today. Who is your neighbor? And of course, in that first century uh, audience, it would have been Jewish people, the Jewish people that were listening to Jesus at that time would have thought, my neighbor is the Jewish person next to me. You know who it's not? It's not the Gentiles. And there's a reason why they wouldn't have seen their neighbors as Gentiles, why they wouldn't be sharing a cup of sugar with their neighbor when they needed it. Because they had a long, checkered, difficult history together. There was a lot of water and blood under the, ridge, uh, under the bridge. In fact, if you walk through the account of the people of God and the, the, the Jewish people, you realize that for 400 years, they were captives, slave labor in Egypt. And gent they were, the Egyptians were Gentiles. A Gentile in, in the biblical context is anyone who's not a Jew. So I'm a Gentile. Anyone who's not Jewish or didn't grow up in it. And so they had spent years in slavery and then they were delivered through some miraculous events of God and Moses leads them to the desert into the promised land. But when they get into the promised land, they begin to turn their back on God and chase other gods. And another oppressor comes in, the Babylonians invade. Another gentle oppressive force comes in, takes them into slavery, into Babylon. And then years later, they're freed and they're back in the promised land. But in Jesus' day, it's the Romans. And the Romans were, they ruled with an iron fist. So when Jesus is talking about neighbor, it can't possibly mean these people. These are the people who enslaved us. They are the people that beat us, used us, broke us, raped us, killed us. But being a merciful person is not easy because being a merciful person means that we're walking across the barriers of ethnic, cultural, and religious barriers to help hurting people everywhere. So Jesus tells a story to try to tease it out and explain it. It's going to be very familiar, but I think we're going to see some things in it today maybe we've missed at other times. In Luke chapter 10, it starts out this. It says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jerusalem and Jericho are about 27 kilometers apart. And there was a road, a winding road through the, the hills and the rocks and the crevices that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. So there's a man going down this road. Now, what you need to know about this road is it was a dangerous road. And for good reason. Uh, Josephus, uh, a historian in Jesus' day, tells of how Herod the Great had built this great temple in Jerusalem. And when it was completed, he had released the workforce and it was 40,000 men that became unemployed overnight. Well, many of those men turned to crime to feed for their family, to feed their family, to take care of themselves. And that's what poverty often does. Poverty often pushes people to make decisions uh, and drives their decisions to, from a place of desperation. So many of them turn to robbery. 
Many of them turned to uh, this, this road, and this road began to develop a reputation. It was called the bloody way in Jesus' day because there was so much bloodshed on this road. So many people's lives were taken. They were stolen. They were beaten up. They were used. So this man is leaving Jerusalem down to Jericho. He's on the bloody way, and it says this in verse 31. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead on the side of the road. By chance, a priest. Now, I'm going to put myself in the story. It's a, it's a pastor. So let's say it's me. By chance, Pastor Jonathan came along. But he saw the man lying there. He crossed on the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, the priest had, or the pastor, me, had just left church. He had been making his sacrifices to the temple there. And he comes down this road and he sees a man hurting and he ignores the hurt. And then it goes on to say in verse 32, a temple assistant, or your translation might say a Levite, which would have been a worship leader. Now, Hannah led us beautifully in worship today, so let's put Hannah in the story. So Hannah walked over and looked at him lying there, but she also passed, away, passed on the other side. Again, not my problem. Not my problem. What was he doing walking on the bloody way by himself? He, he, he was kind of asking for it. And then verse 33, we're introduced to the main character. Then a, can you say this word with me? Despised. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, what is a Samaritan? Well, to understand who they were, you need to go back about 700 years before Jesus is telling the story. In 722 BC, Israel, the northern kingdom, is invaded by an Assyrian army. And many of them stayed. And they intermarried with the populace, the Jewish populace there. And they created a, a new group of people called the Samaritans. They were a biracial community, group of people. And they had incredible hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans because they had intermarried. So there's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of oppression. There's a lot of ugliness between these two parties. And Jesus is talking about this good Samaritan who comes down on the road and he's despised. Here's a question for you. And I'm going to ask you a series of hard questions today. And at the end of the gathering, you can ask me the hard questions. Just jump into the chat room, put your question, and you can ask me. And Jerry and I will do our best to answer it. Here's the question for you. Who is your Samaritan? Because we all have one. Who's that group of people that you're not supposed to love, that you don't want to love? Who's that person that maybe you're not supposed to love or you don't want to love? Who is your Samaritan? In Canada, we have our fair share. We have a checkered and ugly history of treatment of First Nations people. We have a caustic record of embracing new immigrants. We have, as Marcy more eloquently talked about, we have people of color who have experienced racist attitudes and continue to, and as a daily experience in their life. Um, you okay with some real talk, eh? COVID-19 revealed a lot about what's in our hearts. As I saw the treatment of, of people of Asian descent and the racism 
that was expressed through COVID-19. Oh, we have our Samaritans. Who's your Samaritan? Who's your Samaritan? Here's the thing for us as children of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm just talking to you if you're a follower of Jesus, we have a role in this world. In fact, it's not something you get to choose. It's something Jesus chose for us. We are to be agents of reconciliation and agents of peace. We're to bring God's shalom to every conversation, every interaction, every people. We're to be agents of reconciliation and agents of shalom. So this Samaritan is going down this winding road. He finds a Jew in the ditch. He knows this man probably despises him. He knows that this man may not stop for him. He knows this man has every reason not to like him, and he has every reason not to like him. But it goes on to say in verse 33 that the despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, say it with me, compassion for him. Friends, when did the church lose their compassion? And where has the compassion of Christianity gone? When did we get so mean? I mean, uh, I'm on social media and I, I deleted the last few weeks Twitter off my phone. I have it on my, on my computer and I still post things, but I, it was so disturbing to me to see people who profess to be followers of Jesus post such nasty and vile things feeling quite justified to do so because they were countering other nasty and vile things. It's as if the church and Christianity is bought into this idea that you got to fight fire with fire. But that's not the mandate that Jesus gives us. Uh, where has the compassion gone? One of the signs we're followers of Jesus is we give compassion because we've received compassion. And I know, you know, there may be some that are thinking like, Jonathan, I think you're being a little naive. Don't you understand they have an agenda? Don't you understand that they are trying to control or crush Christianity? Or don't you understand they're wrong? Don't you understand that they're not honoring God? Hey, friends, I understand, but I understand this. I understand that in response to this, we don't respond the same way people respond to us. I understand that Jesus said this, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because love is what wins. Love is what builds bridges that truth can traverse so that hearts can be transformed and changed. It's not the weapons of our warfare. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. But instead, if, if we want to use battle language, do it on your knees. Do it on your knees in prayer because the prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. So the question for you and me, I'm going to keep asking you hard questions, is who are you having compassion on? Do you pray regularly, God, change my heart for this group of people. Change my heart for this individual. God, help me get rid of the prejudice that is inside of me because every one of us has some prejudice inside of us. See, loving someone doesn't mean I agree with them. Loving someone doesn't mean that I believe everything they've said everything or accept everything they believe or say. Friends, the way I kind of, kind of frame it in my mind is I remind myself what Dr. John Piper said when he said, Jesus tasted death for everyone. You know what that word means? Everyone. 
And so the question is, is if Jesus tasted death for everyone, how dare I not love everyone? How can I dare not love everyone? To love someone is to honor the image of God in them. The idea is this, that if my king, King Jesus, thought they were worthy enough to die for, the least I can do is extend to them some honor and respect. See, friends, I think that's what normal Christianity is supposed to look like. Normal Christianity is supposed to look this way. So the story goes on in verse 34. It says this, Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil. There's a cost to doing justice and mercy in this world. Olive oil would have been expensive in that day. And wine, it says, money. And bandage, cost him money, them. Then he put him on his own donkey. In other words, he would have to walk now. He would have to endure some extra effort, maybe some extra pain, so that this Jewish man would not have to feel more. Donkey, and took him over to an inn where he took care of him. Verse 35. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, money, telling him, take care of this man. If the bills run higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Let's go a little deeper in this text. This is fascinating. Do you realize that in this parable, you and I are the Jewish man in the ditch? We're the one who's been bloodied and beaten in the ditch by Satan, who's come to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. That is his mandate. That's what he came to do. And we were left for dead in our sins, in our trespasses. But, but, but... A good Samaritan, a good king, didn't just come down from Jerusalem, but left his home in heaven. And he didn't avoid the bloody way. He walked right into the bloody way. He walked towards it, and he lifts us up in our broken, bloodied, beaten down, used up pieces, and he enters into our pain. Ah, oh, friends, this is amazing. He didn't avoid that. He became that. He was bloodied so we could get up. He was beaten so we could stand up. He died so we could live again. That's our good king. That's our good Samaritan. And what's interesting in this story is Jesus identifies with the Samaritan, the man who is despised and rejected. I love this. Just as the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53, when he was predicting prophetically about the Messiah that would come one day, he said this, he was despised and rejected by mankind. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus is a Samaritan. Jesus makes the hero of the story, the weak, marginalized, oppressed, dominated, broken person, becomes the hero of the story. It's actually the one who saves the dominant culture is the one that was the marginalized culture. And in this, we understand something about Jesus' kingdom. That strength is best exercised in our weakness. Then in our weakness, Jesus displays his strength. Notice the Samaritan. The Samaritan says, take care of him, and when I come back, I'll pay you. I'll balance the books. And as a reminder, 
Jesus is coming back one day and he will balance the books. Every un, uh, injustice in this world will be made right. Someday, some of us are trying to do Jesus' role. And we should speak up against injustices in this world. We should stand for justice in this world. But you need to know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And someday, all of those wrongs will be righted. Everything bad will be undone. Someday, Jesus is coming back again. So remember what a Samaritan is. It's a Gentile and Jew in one body. And a Gentile is just someone who's not Jewish. And in Ephesians chapter 2, remember what the church is. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's Jews and Gentiles in one body, the body of Christ. And we're to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural family that we're walking into this world and we're not avoiding the pain points. We're walking in and declaring, as Dr. Darren Gray says, we're not racist, we're gracist. We are bringing grace. We are entering into the pain of others. We are not avoiding it. Friends, you know, to be frank, friends, we need to stop using Jesus to get in on our agenda and we need to allow Jesus to use us to get in on his agenda, to bring reconciliation and peace, to, to be a part of his justice and mercy ethic in this world. There's another cost to it, and I want you to be mindful of it, though. If you're going to live a life that's like Jesus, if you're going to pursue justice and mercy in this life, you need to understand there's, a, there's another cost. I mean, can you imagine the Samaritan? It's not in Luke 10, but I'm just playing the movie forward. I'm thinking about when this guy goes back to Samaria and he's sitting with his friends, his family, and he's talking about, yeah, I was coming down from Jerusalem on the bloody way and I found a Jew in the ditch and he's near death and I put him on my donkey and I banished him. I used my olive oil and wine. I took him to an inn. I paid his bill and I told the innkeeper, I'll come back and I'll, make a, I'll pay the balance. And they would have all looked at him and said, what? You did what for Who? You did, you did what for who? Friends, if you're going to live the Jesus ethic of justice and mercy, you got to understand, there are going to be people in your family. There are going to be people uh, in your, your, poli- your political kind of genre that you might participate in. There are going to be people of your generation. There may be even people in your church family that look at you and say, what? You're not supposed to be with those people. You're not supposed to love those people. Don't don't you understand? You need to be prepared to be misunderstood just as Jesus was misunderstood. Friends, at One Church Teal, we talk about this not because it's trendy. I mean, if you go back in our catalog of teachings, we've been talking about this for years here. Uh, It's not to be trendy. We don't talk about it because there's some sort of political leaning it's the, politics don't motivate me to talk about this. We talk about this, and, you know, it's not always fun to talk about these things. It's uncomfortable. And, you know, every time I talk about it, I get feedback about it. I understand it. But I talk about it because I'm leaning into Jesus' leaning. I want to value what Jesus values, and I want to live like Jesus lived, and it's not easy. So I asked you earlier in our gathering, who is your Samaritan? Who is your Samaritan? And I'd like you, in a moment, Han's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to come back for prayer and do Q&A at the end. But she's going to sing a song that is so biblically rooted. But I want you to think about, 
Who's that group of people you're not supposed to be with? You're not supposed to love. Who's that person you're not supposed to love? Who, who's that group of people you don't want to love? Who's that person you don't want to love? Get them in your minds and allow the Spirit to reflect to you some truth about them as we hear this song.
So are you picturing who your Samaritan is right now? Whoever you're picturing right now is your brother, is your sister. And we have a choice in how we respond. Inevitably, there are going to be people in this world, even sometimes groups of people in this world, that we're not supposed to love or we struggle and don't want to love. And we have a choice in how we respond. We can respond with a Jesus mercy and justice ethic, or we can respond with the tools that this world has given and allow this to continue and perpetuate in this world. But I know you want church to you. I already know you. I know your hearts. I know we want and we are hungry to pursue the person of Jesus. Friends, we need to stop Ubering around our anger and our prejudice and our unforgiveness. And we need to start Ubering around our love for everyone, everywhere. Jesus would want that for us. Jesus would want that for you. So if you have that person in mind or that group of people in mind, I want to pray with you. And let, you know, if this prayer really, you know, grabs your heart or meets you where you're at, you just be praying along with me. And in a moment, we'll do some Q&A and Jerry will come back. But in this moment, let this be a sacred moment. Father, we acknowledge today that while we were broken, beaten, bruised of our own doing, God, we chose to walk the bloody way. We chose to do things our way, God. And you saw us there in our brokenness dead in our own sins. You didn't walk by. You dispatched your son Jesus on a rescue mission for us. So Father, we say thank you, God. And Jesus, when you came, when you came and you walked the bloody way, you allowed us to despise you and reject you and beat you and bruise you and even kill you. So that every human being, regardless of their culture, regardless of of any of their life circumstances, anyone, whosoever would, could be lifted up from their trespasses and their sin and their brokenness, could be made whole again and be restored back in relationship with yourself. And it cost you everything. And in turn, God, we have gained everything. You had compassion and mercy towards us. And your justice was satisfied on the cross when Jesus died for each of us and all of our sins and transgressions, all of our wrongdoing, all of our prejudice, all of our racist attitudes and mentalities, you died for all of it, God. So Jesus, in this moment, we honor you and we thank you for being a good king, for coming and getting us. And in turn, Jesus, We ask you to forgive us for how small we can be. Forgive us for for not loving the way you love, for not extending mercy, for, for not standing up 
against injustice, Lord. Forgive us, God, for not being vessels of reconciliation and peace in this world. And God, in turn, we ask by your Spirit that you would help us to love those we're not supposed to love and love those we don't want to love, God. Whether it be an individual that we have developed a hostility towards in our mind. Maybe we don't, haven't even expressed it, but, but, but it's in us deeply. Or the hostility or even hatred or, or attitudes we have towards a group of people. And maybe on the outside we have such a good veneer. But if people could see our thoughts like you see them. God, we need your grace. And we ask you to forgive us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next 